Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Greg Bass, senior consultant and benefits division manager right here at the Star Group. Greg, good to see you today. Nice to see you. So I got to ask, how did you meet Tim Starr? Oh, well, that actually happened because I didn't know it at the time, but he had been in discussions with the guy who's CEO of U.S. Health Center, uh, Gavin Quinnis, and Tim was discussing his new vision for a benefits department um, because he had significant growth in his personal lines where the company started, and he had brought on some really great advisors on the commercial side, and they were moving into new forums and new platforms and new ways of thinking. So he was looking to do the same in the benefits department. Gavin referred me to him, and I came in and had a meeting. And what happened was Tim hired me to do, a, uh, to do an overview of the company in the benefits department and to write a white paper. That was my first consulting job for Tim. So I interviewed a lot of people. I went through the company in terms of its technology. And by the way, we have a great technology system here with Mark. Our guy is just great. He's something else. And so I went through all of those things. I took a lot of people to lunch. I interviewed a lot of people, and then I wrote a white paper. And essentially, that was at the time of Obamacare coming out and at the time, well, PPACA, as people know it. And I essentially said, Tim, you're going to have to change direction here. That means new people, new ways of thinking, uh, new investments. So uh, your choice is either to get in or get out. And if you stay in, it's going to take money, research, time, and a whole new effort and vision. And to my surprise, he stayed in. And so that's where we are today in terms of the evolution of the benefits department at Star Group. And we've come a long, long, long way. Well, for sure. And and you've definitely been a blessing to the Star Group family, no doubt about it. And you bring a wealth of experience with you to our agency. I mean, you've been spending over 35 years in the employee benefit and healthcare modeling arena. Can you speak to us a little bit about your background and credentials in this important area? Life to me is learning and it never stops. I mean, uh, if people think today that they can go get a degree and they finish and then they're going to go into a career not learning never stops. Yeah, I've got almost three master's degrees, three certifications from Milliman USA, and now five certifications from uh, National Association of Health Unders. And why? Well, it's not because of personal achievements, because of what the business and the market demands. So the thinking, and in terms of what our market is today and benefits is, the digital age is upon us. But in a lot of respects, people out there in our business haven't really realized that. Right now, our benefits employee business, employee benefits business has really evolved way beyond just being a broker. You can't think like a broker anymore. You have to think in terms of being an intrinsic business advocate. And so what you do for an employer is way and far beyond just talking about employee benefits. It's about culture. And one of the things that really drew me The star group of all the agencies out there really grasp an understanding of culture and how culture relates to health, how health relates to productivity, and how productivity really relates to what human capital is really all about in terms of that risk management. It's a really, it's a rare place. It's a rare thing. And it's done a lot for me as well as I hope that I've contributed to that as well. 
Well, you certainly have, Greg, and you've contributed a lot to the area of self-funding. And in fact, you're considered a nationwide expert in this area. I know you've acted as an expert witness in reinsurance litigation disputes. You've testified on behalf of public sector employers and union grievance procedures. You're a, an authority figure in this area, to be sure. So with that in mind, what has the evolution of self-funding been? And in your opinion, why is it better than being fully insured right now? Well, let's start out with just this. My baptism really into self-funding, and I've been all over. Um, matter of fact, I was hired by an HMO in New York to help them, a staff model, to help them figure out how they could self-IBM benefits. Unfortunately, before we got finished with that project, Kaiser bought the company, but that was back in 1989-1990. And at that time, self-funding was a lot different because it was just considered ASO or administrative services only, and you could buy stop loss. A lot of companies didn't even have a stop loss. But what's happened now, especially since 2009-2010, is something that is almost a pathway. It's a pathway of having to figure out new ways to do risk management. Why? Because everyone has to understand that everything that happens in this world involves risk. So when we have hurricanes, when we have national catastrophic issues, when we have 9-11, when we have all this stuff that happens, it affects the ultimate reinsurance markets. And as a result of that, when we look at Obamacare and what it did, one of the things that people really don't understand is that Obamacare changed a number of underwriting regulations for every insurance company out there. It not only mandated benefits, it told the insurance companies how to underwrite and how to price those benefits and what margins they could charge in terms of a profit motivation. So what has self-funding done? As a result of that, the reinsurance prices, every carrier out there, United Healthcare, Anthem, Humana, every carrier out there has to buy reinsurance in their employee benefits pools. Why? Because they can only afford to take on a certain amount of risk. Well, 15, 20 years ago, they would buy reinsurance at like $150,000, $200,000 and then pass off the risk to another reinsurer who would pass it off, who would pass it off, who would pass it off. So finally, it hit a thing called recessionaires. Well, what's happened? That reinsurance has become so expensive that they ha uh, carriers have continued and continued and continued to raise the levels of the insurance that employers really have on fully insured programs. It's called a pooling point. So on groups of 100 pooling points 10, 15 years ago, used to be 50, 60, 70,000. Now it's 150, sometimes 200. So when you can self-insure a group of 100 to 150 employees at a reinsurance level like we do, somewhere between 40 and 50,000, and they're buying a fully insured program where their risk per individual is 100, 150,000, you're actually reducing their risk by double. Is really all about the reinsurance markets and what's happening. We have one carrier out there that tells us they don't even have any pooling points anymore. And so as a result, when Obamacare first came out, all of us that in the actuarial business, kind of like me, we thought, oh, lifetime maximums is only going to be a couple of points. And oh, the age 26 is only going to be a couple of points. Boy, boy, were we fooled. When you put in no lifetime maximums on everything in a benefits package, it gets to be crazy. So right now, the last trend that I read from Sun Life, who keeps track of the stuff, and also from Highmark, a couple of reinsurers we deal with, the trend on million-dollar claims since 2010 has been over 
And now when you look at the drugs coming out, I just read a new thing about two new drugs coming out. They're going to be savings because there's one drug that's $2.5 million per injection. And so this new company says, well, we got the same thing for 750000 Think about that. So what we have going on here is not only did Obamacare change everything about underwriting, everything about benefits, and everything about risk, right? What it changed was how reinsurance companies have to react and what do they have to do to stay in the business. So right now, self-funding makes a lot more sense. And as a real, one more thing here, one more thing that's very important is insurance companies, because of Obamacare, were told how to underwrite. Well, they didn't want to do that because they couldn't ask experience questions anymore. So what they did was they created a new product called level-funded premium plans. Well, what is level-funded premium plans? Level funding is a type of self-funding that falls under the federal ERISA laws. So therefore, they found themselves a new way, a different product, which they would have never done before. But the product allowed them to continue to underwrite the same way they always did. It continued to allow them to pool the same way they always did. It continued to allow them to have a product out there, but it had to be self-funded because under ERISA, there's exemptions of Obamacare provisions under ERISA that are applied in fully insured programs. So they took that route. Well, they found out they really didn't like that that much because self-funding small groups is very, very difficult. But now, this is the latest data that I've been able to watch. Believe it or not, 69% of all the employers in the United States are, that have benefit programs are self-funded in one way or another. And the fastest growing group, broken down by category, before Obamacare, 5 to 6% of groups under 50 self-funded. You know what it is now? 15%. So level-funded, self-funded plans have created a new innovation and a new way for small groups. Because under community rating, the way most insurance companies have to react right now, and keep in mind that community rating is different for every state. Every state had the choice to say a large group is 50 or a large group is 100. So your blue states, let's call them, mostly chose to have small groups be anything under 100. Red states like Wisconsin at the time chose, okay, we're going to do 50. The largest a number of groups who are self-funded today are those groups between 50 and 99 moving into level-funded or into self-funded plans. Why? Because the, the community-rated pools, remember, have to include the market groups and the small groups. What the brokers are doing right now is putting all the good experience groups they can that are small groups into level-funded or some type of self-funded groups, and they're taking the bad groups, the bad experience groups, and putting them into the community-rated pools because there's no experience included. So right now, the pools are getting sicker. We're seeing family rates. We just saw one where the guy was paying $2,600 a month and looking at a 40% increase. What's that family rate per month? It's getting to be nuts. Well, you've got a little bit of entrepreneur in you, Greg Bass. I mean, you don't just work within the confines of the self-funding space. You create within the confines of the self-funding space. And I know you have two self-funding trademarks to really kind of back up your actions in that regard. What are those two trademarks and how do they make a difference for the Star Group consultants? First of all, the Star Group's consultants, we've had to implement, as I said before earlier, about Tim's vision. And so Tim and I have actually had many long chats about that, and we are on the same page in terms of the vision. Every consultant here is more than a broker. Every consultant here is trained in how to do self-funded underwriting. They're trained in analytics. 
And I brought here three tools that are exclusive to the STAR group. Uh, one's a demographic analysis, which is very important because demographics are changing so dramatically now. I mean, here's the question. What's a family today? From an earning perspective, what's a family? It's hard to determine. Then a trend analysis, where if we can get some claims data. So what happened was when Obamacare was passed, I read the law. I read it twice, the entire law. Now, that doesn't mean I've read all the amendments because, as you know, when you put the amendments next to a guy that's six foot eight, it's actually taller than him. So it's difficult to keep up with, but there are provisions in Obamacare that I read, and then I did an underwriting schematic of the law, and it brought to my attention that what is really Obamacare? It's a machine. The guys that built it, the people who built it, they were very smart people. It's a machine to transfer wealth and to transfer risk. I trademarked a product, uh, not a product, a program, legally, called Engage Cafe. What is it? It's three choices, and it involves how do we take the adverse selection that's created in Obamacare and use it to the employer's advantage. So that is called Engage Cafe. Well, the other part of it was watching the star group and the culture here, plus some questions that were asked to me. I have a friend who's written three or four books on healthcare, and he asked me one day, Greg, you know, why is it that you know, our best employees, our most committed employees, we give them the highest deductible health plan and they get, you know, the same as everybody else and they have the most out of pocket. And I thought about that for a long time. And I thought he was right. So what happened? After watching Mary Starr and all the things that she's created in terms of the culture here, I thought, you know, there's a different way of thinking. So I essentially threw out a lot of the stuff that I've learned about underwriting and actuarial work and I turned it on its head. And that became WellBend Dynamic Medical Home, the new trademark. WellBend is a very, very unique and out-of-the-box way of thinking. Why? Because it's not just a benefits program, it's a culture. WellBend drives culture and behavior. WellBend is the first program where the employee has to commit to a cultural behavior change in order to get the best benefits possible in the program. So the employee has choice, the employee has commitment, and the employee has commitment not just to benefits, but to culture. And that's why WellBend is so important. And it takes a team to really deliver this. So, you know, in terms of changing culture, you just can't ask people to change culture. You have to help them. So it's all about guidance and every individual in a group. WellBend goes right to the individual. Every individual in the group has to have assistance in terms of understanding, learning the pathway to better health and to better culture. And so WellBend delivers that at the individual intrinsic level. And that way, the whole population changes. But still, still one of the most important things is it has to be bought in at the top. One of the things, like at the Star Group, Tim and Mary Star are very, very involved, as you are, Paul very, very involved in the wellness program here and what they do, the culture here. It has to be the same at any company level because, you know what, the people who develop companies are leaders and their employees follow their lead. Therefore, from a business sense, an ethical sense, if the business leader chooses to follow a cultural change and behavior change and commit to something, then the employees will also. Who would you say, Greg, is your target audience for WellBend? Well, actually, if you look at who is the most ideal company for WellBend, 
it's a company that probably has somewhere between 150 and 10,000 lives. And more than that, if a company has an on-site clinic or a near-site clinic or buys into direct primary care clinics, those companies can self-fund. And now there's a new thing out there called RBP. And I was not an advocate of RBP for years. But you know what? Here's something I've learned over the last two years. One of my goals the last two years has been to interview C-suite executives at the provider level. I mean, people who are CEOs of hospitals, people who are COOs. I have a very good, you know, when you've been around as long as I have, you can make friends and you can make enemies. Well, fortunately, I've been able to make some friends at the higher levels of the provider system. And what is happening out there, especially when you consider COVID and the upside down thing that's happened in COVID with the revenue loss of all the hospitals. Hospitals have lost a ton of revenue. So reference-based pricing, in addition to WellBend, means a new type of contract because here's what I'm going to tell you, and this is what I should have said from the beginning. The providers and the large carriers out there, by contract, will not and cannot They can make changes, but they will not lead to disruption. They will not disrupt the marketplace the way it is because they kind of like it the way it is. I mean, have you seen stock price lately? So I wish I had some. So what will happen? The market itself will create the disruption that will force providers and carriers to change, just like Level Funded did. But now we're moving into a new way And the problem with all of it is everybody's screaming about transparency. I don't necessarily believe in transparency. Why? Because it's not the total answer. The total answer is think of everything that you buy, Paul. Think of everything you buy from a refrigerator to a car to anything. One of the number one elements in the purchase of what you make is quality. You know, you read, I just read yesterday about the 10 worst cars on the market. What? It came from the Association of Mechanics in America in terms of their quality numbers, right? One of the problems we have in healthcare today is that when premiums are developed, there is not a high element of quality involved. Actuarially, there is no element of quality. Now, I will tell you, one of the four books I'm reading right now, the Brits, I think, have discovered something called quality-adjusted life years, whereby they can calculate net benefit cost. And therefore, we have to move to a new way of reimbursing providers for what they do. And it has to be based, just like we buy everything else, it has to be based on the outcome of what you're buying. And the outcome of what we're buying in healthcare right now doesn't have quality as the number one or number two aspect. How did Toyota overachieve General Motors? Quality of product. Therefore, we have to start looking at new ways. And you know what? The digital age has brought us that because new software allows us actuarially to do things using Bayesian statistical modeling, which we then use in Markov Monte Carlo simulations so that we can figure out by using small pieces of data how to figure out, let's take an example. A patient goes to provider A, and the cost of his episode of care is $150,000. But at the end of the day, his quality-adjusted life years is 10. Okay. Patient A goes to another provider, and that provider is $200,000 for whatever he has, a transplant or something. But his quality-adjusted life years turn out to be 30. Okay. $150,000 divided by 10 is what, right? 15 times 10 to the squared? 
But then you look at the other provider, yeah, it's more expensive, but his quality-adjusted life years are much, much better. That is where we need to go and why every hospital system, I believe, in this country, especially those high academic institutions, need to move to accepting episodic care as reimbursements because it's based on outcome. And then insurance companies can include quality as an element in pricing, which they don't do now. And that's where we really have to go. And when we walk all the way back to WellBend, what does WellBend do? WellBend is all about the quality of the individual's life and a cultural change so that that quality in terms of even receiving healthcare services, because what's one of the big deals today? You ask people about healthcare and where to go and what to do and even what their benefits are, they have no idea. WellBend through education helps people learn these things. So we have to get to the point where we pay as much attention to quality of care and the episode of care and what happens at the end as we do when we're buying anything else in this country. Let's say a CEO is listening to this podcast, and not just any CEO, but a CEO of an organization that aligns with the target audience that we talked about, 150 lives all the way up to 10,000 or more. What would you say specifically to that CEO about why he or she needs to get on board with WellBen? If we back up to something I said about, if you look at CEOs and you ask them, how many quality engineers do you have in place in your company? And what are those quality engineers all about? And what do they do and how important are they to your culture of your business? WellBen in itself brings cultural change and quality, new thoughts about quality of healthcare services. So why don't we apply quality engineering to your population? Does that make sense? That's what I would say to them. WellBend is a methodology and a program whereby you can implement quality engineering to your population. And let's first of all, just like one of our consultants here, and I just did a project for a fairly large company, and a big forge company, a matter of fact, and we did a demographic analysis. And I would swear to you, Paul, I would bet that 90% of the time, corporations are going to find this. If you look at your demographic, you don't have a single demographic. You have two, three different types of demographics. Why? Population change. I mean, one of the things that's happened out there, of course, corporations is the number of Hispanic workers in the workplace. That's a change. You know, we're not all one today, but we have to act as one. So what do we do? We have to look at our demographics, and then we have to apply what? We have to apply some quality engineering to those demographics and that population. And WellBend does that because it, through cultural shift and change, it brings people to the awakening and the education because WellBend is not just a benefit program, it's a culture program. And that culture program builds an education intrinsically for every individual. Why? Because they get individual education guidance and pathways. Let's say an organization is interested in moving forward. They want to get started with self-funding and or WellBen. How do they do that, and what would be the first steps they should take? Well, that's a great question, Paul, because that's what our consultants, we put them through intensive training here. We don't let our consultants go out and, and talk to people about WellBen or any of the programs we have here until they have gone through, as our great president here, Paul Newberg, calls the Greg Bass University. 
that usually takes six months and sometimes almost a year for them to learn about how to think differently and how to process differently. And self-funding, unlike what most brokers sell out there, and excuse me for saying that, I guess, but it's not about saving money. It's not a different product. Along with self-funding, self-funding is like saying, okay, instead of buying the car, you get to purchase every piece in the car differently. So you can customize your population. So what do you have to do first to do self-funding right? You have to analyze who your population is. Who are they? What are they? What's their environment? Where are they at? What are the systems around them where they get care? So that's what we do. We analyze differently. We analyze demographics. We analyze where they're at, who they are, and what they do. That's the first step. The second step then is if you have any data whatsoever, we have to look at that data because quite frankly, too many decisions are made emotionally based on relationships. You can't do that in employee benefits. Why? It's usually your second or your third largest spend. And when you're spending millions of dollars, I mean, right now, the average cost per employee per year in Milwaukee runs by about 11.5, right? What's 11.5 times 100, 200 employees? That's a lot of money. So you have to think about changing your decisions based on a process of analytics and a different way of thinking to come up with a risk management solution, and that usually involves self-funding. Why? Because self-funding allows you to break it all down and to develop a new engineered plan. It's not just something that I bought. You ask most employers, where do you get your benefit from, your benefit plan from? Where did it start? Well, we bought this thing from... And then we've just changed deductibles and out-of-pockets. Quite frankly, I can tell you right now, we've reached a critical edge. What's that crisis edge? It's because employers can't afford it anymore, and neither can the employee because their out-of-pockets are so high. When you take an employee that's making $20 to $30 an hour, and then he has a large claim at the hospital, and he or his family has five dollars to $10,000 out-of-pocket, that out-of-pocket represents what percent of his after-tax income? It's too big. He can't afford it. So... We have debt levels rising, we have people in denial of care, and that's the opposite direction. Wellbend changes all of that. And so where we have to get to then is understanding that maybe there's a new way of thinking about our employee benefits. And the Star Group Consulting Team, when you're going to self-fund, do the work up front and do it right if you want it to be successful. And there, every one of them is intensively trained on how to get there and how to do it. And as we look back, Greg, over the past couple of years, you theoretically could have brought Wellben anywhere. Why would you say the Star Group specifically is the absolute best fit for a solution like Wellben? Well, you know, that goes all the way back to what we talked about in terms of leadership. Tim Starr and Mary are unique people. They really are. The cultural thing here, for me, remember where I came from. I, along with my two partners, owned a company for 15 years, and we were the consultants who did more public sector consulting than anybody else in the state. We never even had to prospect for business. We would tell clients whether we wanted them or not. Why? Because the guy in the back room, me and my assistant, we were doing the underwriting and forecasting and setting budgets, employee benefit budgets, on a $650 to $700 million of public sector business. When we look at where we're going, and what we're doing, what's so very important is 
that we set up things in terms of a strategy for human capital for the long term. It's not year to year. It's not even two years. It's not even three years. When we look at underwriting charts and cycles, every group should plan for at least a five-year strategy. And then the important thing is because of the cost of that human capital, not only in terms of the price, but the welfare of the person and the families, right? We have got to get to a point where we have a strategy to help them in terms of, like here at the Star Group, it's all about the individual and the culture they're in and how to help them be healthier, not just to work here, but to live. So employers have to say, okay, my employees don't just live here behind the walls of my company. They live out there. So what do I have to do? Because employees don't necessarily move from place to place to place because of the money. They move from place to place to place because of the respect that they receive and how much the company cares about them. And in that caring, one of the things that I've learned from Mary Starr is it's culture. And we show them through caring about helping them in terms of our health culture and how we deliver that to them as part of their job to help them be the best people they can be. And that's what's so very important. One of the reasons I love discussing this topic with you, Greg, is because you're so passionate about it. I mean, sometimes you got to clear your schedule. I can't just have a five-minute conversation with Greg. It's going to be a 45-minute conversation because you're so passionate about this. And I mean that in a good way. Where does your passion for health insurance and group benefits come from? Well, I've worked in a lot of places over a lot of years. Actually, the 35 years isn't true. I started in 1979, so that's 41 years, Paul. I actually came out of teaching. I was an English teacher and a baseball coach for years, and I loved it. But I got an opportunity to go to work for WPS back in 1979. And through that time, what I've recognized is that health insurance and employee benefits is really not about products and not about companies. I see, my goodness, I've been, you know, I, I was regional director at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, and why did they hire me? Because they wanted somebody to help them figure out self-funding. Then I went to work for the guy, still my best friend in the world, Martin Consulting out of San Antonio. But then I had an opportunity. I made less money, quite frankly, to go to work for a, a staff model HMO in New York. What I've learned is, and what my passion really comes from, is I am a change agent. I am a disruptor. I am a creative individual who likes to see things differently. And that means solving problems, not just within the confines of what people think is the way to solve a problem, but you actually have to break down the doors and the walls sometimes and get out of the box and look at it from a different perspective. And that's really what I'm all about. Why you can see that and the other things I do. I mean, I do photography, I write, I got a couple of books out. You know, I love Africa. I'd live there if I could, if my wife would let me. You know, I've chased three different master's degrees. And I think one of the reasons God made us all was so that we can help other people do better. That's what I'm all about. Well, Greg, I can tell you, on behalf of everybody here at the Star Group, including the management team, it's a blessing to have you here at the agency. Thank you for your efforts on behalf of our clients. And I can tell you, myself included, you do make those around you better because of your influence. It was wonderful to have you on the program today. Well, thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. It was a great time, and I hope I passed the test on my first podcast. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, 
Check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.